All right, we got an awesome show today. This is the first Permaculture Tonight show ever. We've got an awesome lineup of guests. Let me tell you a little bit about them. We've got Bud Dillard from UC Berkeley talking to us about cleaning water with plants. We'll have Jennifer Reynolds coming from the Washington Shore talking to us about turning her lawn into a little food forest. We have a recipe and permathought and a family farm update coming up. So yeah, this is the first one. This is the first one. We are here. I have a lot of friends that want to help out with this. I'm super excited. And let's just get into it. First off, we've got a kale burger. Kale burgers are super easy to make. What you're going to do is you're going to take eggs, you're going to take breadcrumbs, and you're going to take sautéed greens of some sort. You can lightly uh, wilt uh, spinach. And if it's a heavier green, like a collard green or something like that, you're going to have to cook it a little bit longer. But then you want to have it chopped really well. You want to mix it with that egg uh, that's beaten, and you're going to mix it with your breadcrumbs. And you can also uh, food process a little bit, chop up a little bit, rolled oats, um, something like that. And so you want to make it into a, a consistency that you can roll into a patty, and it will hold up while it fries and oil on, on the, the, the stovetop, just like a regular burger. And so what you're going to do is you're just going to, you can add spices, you can add cumin or curry burgers or whatever you want. Uh, I typically do garlic when I saute the greens initially. And this makes a great burger. And if you're a homesteader and you're, you have just greens coming out your ears like kale and mustard, and you have eggs coming out of your ears because you have chickens and those are easy to do, you could be doing burgers all the time. And if you have kids, this is a great way to get them to eat greens. All right, and so here we go. Here's a permathought. So this week I've been doing chop and drop, but it's not quite the chop and drop that everyone tells us to do. I tend to let my weeds grow so I can chop and drop and turn them into mulch. And because I consistently are chopping and dropping them, they are regrowing and they don't form seed heads because they don't ever get to that point. So that's my permathought for the week. And uh, then finally a family farm update. So we put in a bunch of new swales this week. We did a lot of transplants. Another thing that, that, that's been happening is that we're putting all the seeds in the ground. We're all the way in. We are setting up areas for microclimates for rare things like Peruvian corn. So that needs, that, uh, needs to have that 12-hour period of light only for it to form its tassels. And I think I've got it set up. I've got it on this other side of the hill where it's dark most of the morning and shaded part of the afternoon. So there's this slice of heavy light and maybe that'll, I don't know, we'll see. It's a project and I love experimenting, especially with um, seeds. So that's kind of the update in the garden. We're, we're working a lot on setting up uh, what's sprouting right now. A lot of beans, corn, um, we've got okra, and mustard and kale, new kinds of strawberries, perennial lettuce like salsify, and that's also good for the root. Yeah, so there's a lot, there's a ton of things going on. And so we're, it's early spring, so it's basically a lot of prep work, as you guys all know. And yeah, so let's start in with our first interview. Here we go. Bud Dillard. 
He's a UC Berkeley undergrad researcher working on his environmental engineering degree. Specifically, Bud is working on cleaning water with plants. How do I clean my water with plants? Okay, so um, basically I work with uh, wastewater which comes in with a lot of contaminants in it. And so we're able to use plants like bulrush and cattail that supply uh, a lot of carbon for microbial communities that can transform these contaminants into uh, benign substances that don't harm me and you. So basically in your situation, um, on a small scale, you can build ponds that clean water just as efficiently as treatment plants do. And that's what our application is in the real world, trying to go out to these treatment plants and instead of spending all this money and energy heating these reactors and supplying these microbial habitats, making that happen in ponds. So what would happen if we were to go to your house and set up a pond is <laughs> basically fill up a pool and then surround it with bull, bulrush and cattail. And that way, all the excess contaminants, nitrogen, um, excess phosphorus can be used by the plants and the contaminants can be broken down and transformed into benign substances. So w with my family, there's um, two children and then my wife and I, mm -hmm. uh, we live with uh, our, our, on, a gra on my wife's grandparents' land and with her parents. So if all of us were using like our washing machine, our dishwashers, mm -hmm. our toilets, and all that, mm -hmm. would it take one pond? And then how big would that pond so, be? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, so basically you can subdivide this treatment facility, quote unquote, into multiple cells. So your first cell would be a photolysis cell that all of the excess nitrogen from your detergents and everything is used by algae. Okay. And then the algae die and consume the oxygen in the water. And then the microbes start using nitrogen and break down the nitrogen in the same cell. Onward, after that cell, you gravity feed it into another cell that is all cattail. And then that removes all of your um, organic, trace organics like uh, medicines and stuff that comes in soaps and detergents as well. Um, and what and do so you do? You, you kind of go from one cell to the next and eliminate each, each type of chemical that you're trying to remove yeah. in each one. So, and what do you do with the plants, the cattails, when they're done with? Um, what we're trying to do now, because we do have a lot of buildup, we have yeah. all this excess plant material. So what we're doing now is setting up these tests to determine if we can force the water through via gravity, through like chop up the plants into small pieces, right, and then force the water through there. So you're getting a lot more carbon extract. Okay. And it's feeding the microbes all this carbon, all this organic carbon and they're going to be processing things a lot faster so you might be able to reuse those plants at the beginning of the system mm -hmm. at the beginning and plug up your system with a chopped up plants and then get more carbon get more remo more removal so right. that could be an efficiency thing you could actually maximize your removal by doing that and that's what we're working on is maximizing these systems and trying to get people to use them you know right and so if we if we composted it though if we took all those cattails uh, and out at, when it's choked that pond mm -hmm. and we put new ones in 
and when we just compost it, won't the uh, longer carbon chains like trap all the bad things that would be would be free if they hadn't been taken up initially into that? No, I'm I'm asking if it, it, because those toxic substances are free, mm -hmm. and that's the problem is they're they're soluble or mm -hmm. it's or at some level <clears throat> you're able to contaminate yourself or right. other things with them. But when they're tied up in carbon, doesn't that mean that like you could compost all those plants? You can, depending on and what. And grow in it. It depends on your water. Mm -hmm. So you would want to test your water is. for mercury levels and arsenic and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, because where those would I go to do would, that? Um, that's a really good question. I could personally test your water, um, but as <clears throat> for the public to test their water, they would have to contact their water department and uh -huh. get a. If you're on a well, it's different because you're on a well, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you would have to send yours off to a lab, to a university yeah. or a private lab to have it tested, which should be a service that's provided to everybody. They, everybody should know what's in the water, right? Like, yeah, that's a basic, a basic <laughs> you, know, you know. It's like you need water, you need food. Yeah, These are the and things you need that to know need to what's clean. in these. Like, yeah. what, what's, what is in there? Um, to so, know what you need to set up, how you set up your pond to remove totally. you know what's in there. But your question about composting, um, like I said, you have to be careful because if you have, you know, any above average levels of mercury or arsenic, then that stuff does get trapped so in the plants city. and you want to dispose of that and be a hazard, hazardous waste is what most people Right, right. Where does hazardous waste go? Uh, they basically incinerate the plants. Mm. And then they store it in underground spots, I believe. Wow. But I'm not too up on that, so don't Because you're doing the opposite. Yeah. yeah I dig that. Yeah. Wow. Okay, awesome. So we're all about permaculture, and we kind of have discovered that everyone's kind of into permaculture, and everyone kind of has a different name for permaculture. Right. And one of the things you're doing is this environmental engineering, which to me, I'm like, ding, 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 that's permaculture. It is, totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really is. Did, have, did you hear about permaculture before you chose that, or is it like you were um, doing that, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm already doing that? Yeah, it kind of both. I mean, I yeah, I'd heard about permaculture before um, and been interested in techniques, but I didn't know about pond treat, natural treatment plant, right. you know, natural treatment um, facilities that you, there were, people were actually using. Like Portland uses all ponds. Uh, wow. Yeah, Brisbane, Eastern Australia, all ponds. You know, these people are using these things, but I didn't know about them until right. I started just talking to people about, I want to do something with water, you know, it's like we're right. in trouble. What can I do? What can I get into? And so permaculture to you was simply gardening techniques that mm -hmm. you'd heard about from other people. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just gardening. And huh. but you know, learn. I mean, you you learn so much every day from stuff like today when we were you know working yeah. together, and I learned so much, and it's it's really cool because I have this formal training in like the specific field, but like going out and applying these kind of things is what I really want to do next. You know. Yeah. And like, so how do you feel like, how do you set up a pond and help like figure out how we can do this and test your water and like, so you, yeah, I feel yeah. like you're like almost like a specialist. I feel like there's all these people who are in your position yeah. that have this amazing training right. from our colleges, from our universities sure. that can just flip a switch and go, let's use this in a permaculture way. Yeah. And you kind of already are there, but I think there's a lot of people like you with these skills. Right. 
Um, You're right. That makes me really not give a shit. Sometimes it's like, can I say that? Yeah, whatever. Uh, is that we are so like specific in our study, and I have an environmental science background to where it's it's multidisciplinary, and I try to look at the whole picture, and I try to look at you know like what's what's happening from above. Yeah, know, and, holistic. Yeah, a holistic approach, and then I go into this field that's like, you are this part of the puzzle, you know, and you are this part, and you draw this little box around it, and that's how engineers are classically trained, and for me, I try and go in and go, like, let's open that box up and cut these barriers, and, like, well, really figure out, like, what's this going to affect? Who is this going to affect? Right. You know, The like, renaissance. You, yeah. And I think the renaissance is, we have a neo-renaissance right now, I with think a so lot of too. people being like... We need to understand it from a full perspective. Mm-hmm. We're, the, the the definition of like a bureaucratic British Empire, right. where it's like this is my place in the in the mosaic of the empire, mm-hmm. and I serve and turn this wheel. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are like connecting with that anymore. Right, and I agree. I mean, I see it in the university too. I mean, there's there's a guy that I just took a class with about you know how engineering affects people and how it affects society and like underrepresented people you know poverty race class gender you know uh, all these issues that engineers have just never really thought about and he's risking his job well but stuff, you know you like, know in my perspective because i worked in service and i worked um like in food and yeah. drink and i worked uh, as a musician um Really, the only people in town, and traditionally, that you have to please and pander to are the wealthy. Yeah, so exactly. it's So that's what engineers are doing. It's like architects. I, I was watching some TED Talk. Yeah. I can't really remember who it was, but they were talking about how engineers are designing everything for the wealthy. Absolutely. And these monuments of ego, rather than utilitarian, rather than decentralizing power, right. empowering people. Yeah. So... I think that's that, that's coming too. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the people that I work with, a majority of them, they're all young. You know, graduate students, PhD students, and they're all really kind of going for the whole thing, the, the the full spectrum of like how do we do things naturally and get away from industrialized treatment plants, like conventional water treatment, which takes energy. You know, it takes. Uh, there's a lot of waste involved. You know, there's. If there's a lot of negatives that are you know, associated with this, and it's just like they look pretty, and they're small, yeah, you know, and people like them that way, you know, for some reason that's just been the conventional way to do this, and you know, those people, are, I can't generalize that much. Um, <laughs> the the big negative that people see with with pond treatment is that it takes land, you know. Yeah. Um, and if that can be fixed, if we can engineer these things to be smaller, like cutting up the pieces like we were talking, yeah. using plant material to put back in there and using that as, you know, basically to, to stop the flow and add more carbon, uh, then we can make these on a small scale and just have them in series. And, you know, have like you have a football field instead of 100. Yeah. Have you, you know? thought about running uh, any experiments on farms, like with cows uh, and local farms in uh, Sonoma County? Yeah, that would be, I haven't, no, but that would be a really um, interesting way to apply this because we're in the baby steps right now. Like we're, like we're, what you suggested, how are we going to use this? Basically, we, we pack them full of plant material, run wastewater through, measure what's in it before, measure what's in it after. 
and which is incredible to me because it, you know we're like at this cutting edge that we're being sold like we're leading and and that's a test anybody can anyone do. can yeah, do absolutely the entry you know the entry into this kind of scientific field is actually quite low and exactly I mean how many people are in your uh, in your field in our in our lab there's we share a lab with um, with kind of the the microbial side too um, so total I'd say 15 people wow yeah and on our end like on trace organics and you know contaminants that we deal with is like probably four people hmm. you know and like you said, this is stuff that people can do, and that's that's what really surprised me going into work there. Is you know, the sophistication is is there, but the methods and ways that we're we're using, yeah, we have all the fancy machines that tell you what is in your water, basically. But the methods of experiments is you know it's very um, doable for anybody, you know. And that's, that's awesome. what's really cool. It's like I could do this at home. Like yeah. I can, I can go to your house and we can play with that stuff. You know, like it's really interesting. I mean, so, shoot, just put water in a cup and seal it off and put it in the sun. See what happens to it. You know, photolysis. Like, see what breaks down. Like, see what happens. I mean, you can't physically see it, but you know, if you test your water, you can. Yeah. See what the sun's doing. Just energy to water. It's really amazing stuff, you know. Could you could you create like a like a mirror bottom or mirror side to like uh, to enhance? Light? Yeah, like a mirror and a black side. Um, that would be yeah. That would be like to maximize the the, the light that's yeah. reaching these systems. Yeah, that would be a really good idea. Um, you know, it's because when you have like that first cell we were talking about, um, it's just light. Yeah, and algae. Yeah. The algae can actually cover the the um, the cell itself. So uh -huh. light, it's kind of a step process. So you have, first you just have light, and then you have this algal, algal bloom that takes over. And you have a die-off. Yeah, then you have a die-off, and then you're pulling out your nitrate, your nitrogen, and stuff like yeah. that. You know, um, so it is a step, and there is maintenance involved, too. You know, that being said, the duckweed, the algae... You know, that grows on these things yeah you gotta you gotta get them off there that's another trick we gotta figure out too yeah is like how to well, do that municipalities want everything automated so a guy can just stand there yeah. and watch it move yeah and they want they want predictability you know with these natural systems it's hard to say like how much we're actually going to be able to take out but um you know that's the goal is like is using those chips like we can predict better if we get these right conditions that are stable yeah. And the water stays in all around the same time, you know, and so it has it around the same removal. Then you can kind of predict a little with a higher degree of accuracy um, at what you're going to take out. And then, you know, municipality might buy into that. Like, I, that's the goal, you know, is to bring it on a big scale and then also have it for farms and on a small scale. And that's what I would like to do once I, you know, finish working is uh, try and spread this knowledge and, try and start projects and see, yeah. see what happens, you know, like see if we can do this on a small scale. I think small scale might be the only way that we actually can practically handle the problems. Mm -hmm. uh, the problems we have tend to be manageable when we think small scale. Right. On the small scale, almost everything works. Mm -hmm. But when we go large scale, that's when uh, things start breaking down. Yeah, it complicates things. Yeah. You know, it, more kinks in the tube makes more, you know, 
possible leaks, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on, bud. It's really exciting to hear about sort of these uh, corollary movements within education, yeah. within different fields of science that yeah, are coming yeah. out that are totally permaculture, even if they're not using the word. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> we'll change that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Uh, I mean, I'm writing this, this book series to try to, from the bottom up, bring permaculture into the language and, and connect to the college. Yeah. Because there's like only a couple colleges, like 40 programs. That say it. You know, that, yeah. that use that word. Yeah. So, and most people think, just as you said, that it's just for gardening. Yeah. You know, they think it's a horticultural thing. It's a horticultural movement. Right. It's, uh, it's all about plants and understanding their relationships rather than field culture, agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure playing music and Heck yeah. getting to work out in, the, out in the lawn and, you know, really teaching me a lot. So this is really fun. Well, I feel like I learned a lot, too. Thanks. Cool. All right. Here's from Ocean Park, Washington. So let's get her on. Hello? Hi, Matt. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I just finished a, like a long day of school and I got home and decided to talk to you and then go walk around my gardens and water a few things. So what, what was your day like? Well, I put in some more plants. I did lettuce today and spinach. So that meant shoveling, which I, I'm good at now. <laughs> it's funny. It's like you start the season and, and it's, it's digging is hard. But then, you know, what's really wild is going to someone else's property and digging. And, yeah. and then going home and being like, I love my soil. And be and, and you're suddenly like ten times the digger you were. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, I had that experience this week. I, I I was doing some some sod where you had to just cut through the the grass first. Yes. And it was like really hard, and it it just I don't know it just made my feet sore to like push on the shovel so much. Oh yeah. Let's talk about where you live and the kind of climate you live in because that's really unique. It is unique. We live in the Pacific Northwest, which is, um, of course, everyone knows rainy. And a lot of times that that means shade. Um, So I've had a couple of epic failures since I've moved here. Um, I grew chilies in Beaverton, Oregon, no problem. Well, a chili wouldn't have a chance up here. Um, Unless you have a greenhouse, 
which I don't. So I, this year, am trying the Food Not Lawns that Heather Jo Flores, uh, Food Not Lawns on Facebook, that she suggested. And I thought, why should I mow this lawn again? Let's yeah. plant in the front yard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So She's awesome. So she, are you friends with her on Facebook? I'm friends. I've been uh, following her for, I guess, just three weeks, maybe maybe four weeks. But um, I just glommed on to it. it. You know, it's mowing season, and we have, you know, half an acre. Um, and just to the thought of not having my husband have to mow. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, you've got to get the gas. And then you leave it all season, and then it needs the engine's been sitting with that gas and oil in it. And so half the time you need someone to service it. And so it becomes all these trips, and you're picking it up and down. And yep. so, yeah, I don't, I don't like mowers. I really love my scythe. Um, but, but they're so noisy, Matt. They they're really just are. They're noisy. It's, you know, we have a lot of birds around here, and I know we're bothering them with that sound. Right, and for a lot of, uh, you know, the beach, the birds are the kind, they're the ones bringing in seeds, they're the ones um, spreading seeds. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, how do you hear about permaculture? Well, again, um, well, I don't know if it was Heather originally. I I know that I, I saw a movie, the Zeitgeist Movement. Um, Zeitgeist is the name of the first film, and it talked about our economy tanking, what we can do to help, uh, maybe using our dollar, our purchase power for something more important than, you know, my next hair color. Right. I mean, it was the whole global thing that's occurring um, is actually what got me into permaculture because to me, in my mind, it is the answer. Yeah, I totally agree with that. If we all farm and we all have our own food, we won't be buying the kind of factory farmed stuff. I won't say the F word, but um, the factory farms are, are the other issue with the economy and the factory farms. Those two issues alone are enough to make me want to know where my food comes from and build my own soil. Well, I don't know if you know this, but my wife has had cancer three times, and we totally have, have we, we can't eat that stuff, and we haven't eaten that stuff in so long that um, if I do eat that kind of stuff, I also, you know, have stomach problems. It would just, I, I would just be in so much pain. Yeah, it just isn't healthy. My husband had a, um, a blockage in his intestines, and they had to do immediate drastic surgery he had an ileostomy um, where they cut his colon and put it out to his belly and he lived like that for nine months and we don't know what caused the blockage but I'll tell you he's a vegan <laughs> and um, I am I'm a vegetarian soon to be vegan I, I'm trying vegan it's just dairy is really hard but we don't want cancer and we don't right. want the factory farm junk anymore. I want to grow my own food, and at the same time, I want to protect animals, and I'm, I want the environment to heal. Absolutely, and that's what permaculture is. And, and I mean, 
the, and and the reality i think uh there's a push for it to be huge and to be industrialized but if everyone has your level of enthusiasm and rips up their front lawn and expands their backyard you know into a food forest we're gonna see a complete change overnight and we won't even need we won't even need with the, the things that they're offering that's right and you know I haven't made the decision about um, about eating humanely raised um, products and I'll tell why well, say products animals um, I just had my first experience with chickens, and uh, my friend Lee Knott, who has the Sea School Cooperative here on the peninsula, uh, just a wonderful place where they are um, having kids who are failing in high school go out there and learn permaculture for a skill and credit. Um, again, that's the Sea School Cooperative. Um, she brought me to chickens. She said, how about incubating these chickens for me? So I've just done that, and we had 19 beautiful little chicks, and now I have three. Three are mine. Um, so, I mean, it, it's all part of it. It's like if I do decide to eat the chickens, if I do go that route, I know that they were humanely raised, right? And I think that there's something completely different about the meat that you, you can get in a store or even from any large operation, even if they're trying to do... Uh, it is best they can with the constraints we have and the rules we have. Constraints. Uh, that's it, Matt. It's the constraint. They are the bottom line philosophy. And that has got to go. The bottom line philosophy is killing our planet. Yeah, there needs to be a triple bottom line. What helps me, that helps you, and helps the planet. Yes. Awesome. So tell me, so one last thing, tell me about, about your future. What, what were your future plans? Um, especially like what, what kind of designs do you have for the front yard, especially in that beach climate? Uh, well, I had already put in some, um, some heather and I, I just put them in randomly and I wish you could see the photos of my heather. I have about six big heather plants that have grown up in the last eight years that we've had the property. And I want to put paths um, in between. It'll be winding. And then in between the heather will be things, luscious things to eat. <laughs> and also a little natural fountains with rock. Of course I want that. And then I want bark that's natural. I want to use the birch trees. I live in a birch forest. And the birch bark, I want to find something to do with the birch bark. Maybe, you know, lay it out or use it for something. I want to become totally and utterly um, self-sufficient with the plants that are on my property. Tonight, I ate um, lion That's bees. awesome. Now, I'll leave the dandelion flower for the bees. The bees need that flower. I'm not giving them to my neighbor's bunnies this year. Yeah. Save the dandelions, people. And you know, the thing is, that food that you eat that's from your home, your home garden is going to be healthier than any food you can buy, even from the local farm. Because the amount of attention and the amount of localized nu nutrients and the fact that it's like something that's in your actual local ecosystem. It's so local that you become part microbes, of... Microbes, right? What? Yeah, the, the microbes, absolutely. The microbes soil. You become part of the soil, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my husband was thinking he'd go out now. I don't know if I should say this or not, but there was some post about urine. Urine being a great fertilizer. So it is. So we were laughing and we could go out in the middle of the night and pee on the trees. 
You can. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure the trees appreciate it. Well, that goes along with my spirit because I'll be barefoot most of the time out in a, in a skirt. <laughs> well, that's you know, being barefoot in the garden is a pleasure that I think everyone can share. That's for sure. Oh my God! Today I took the three little baby chicks out. I made sure they were warm. I had a hot water bottle. And then I took them out in a box and I let them put their little their little feet on the grass today. So they got to go out in the sun and feel grass on their feet for their first time, the little babies. And they were just stunned. <laughs> that is so sweet. And that was adorable, man. Yeah. I wish I had a video. That's you know, that's the way to go is to try to keep things as like as natural as possible so that they can express their fullest, you know, their fullest instincts. I want them to. I want them to know the feeling of, you know, their creator gave them a body for a reason, not to just be in a cage. It gave them a body to explore and peck away and do what they need to be doing. So I want them, I fully support them in their chickenness. Heck yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like we humans, you know, we deserve to be growing our food and eating our food and cooking it and loving every minute of that. And you know, Yeah, not being a slave, you know, to, oh my gosh, I have to, you know, I have to go to the store and spend three fifty for this carrot or, well, carrots aren't bad, but something's organic. I just can't afford them, Matt. Well, neither could I. And that's why we started growing and saving our seeds uh, many years ago and We've got we've, every year we've grown more food, and every year it gets easier. And now that I'm turning everything into perennials, <laughs> it changes the whole dynamic of work and scale. And it's really exciting about what's going to happen next. Uh, I'd like to talk about perennials with you some more, and also about seed saving, maybe in the future. Heck yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, let's talk again later in the season, and let's get some pictures up. Awesome. <laughs> well, anyone can go to my Facebook page under Jeffries Reynolds. That's my married and birth name. Um, and you can see the, uh, the pictures of what I've done so far. It's, it's very, um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to admit I'm ignorant. So I put in what I thought was good based on a little bit of reading. So people may laugh at my garden. I don't know. <laughs> but I fully admit I'm a newbie to it. Well, you know, in some ways, we're always a, a new to, to to something, right? And then, That's true. and then I think if we lead with your like your level of enthusiasm and excitement and commitment, I think that the margin for error, you know, is so small. And I think that if you're connected as as you sound like you are, I don't think I'm at. So <laughs> I think you're really onto it. And I think that's the thing is part. You know, I think. All of our ancestors had permaculture as part of their 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 way of life, whether they it was, did. you they know. Did. I was raised by my grandma, and she talked often about the farm. Yeah, and so I think that we have all these genes that are in our in our systems that we don't even turn on and we don't honor, and when we do, when we do turn back to them and start doing these things, I think people are going to find that they have these hidden talents and that. And they have talents that people need, and that there's I all these. I love that hidden talents, and they are hidden because they have to go to these, excuse my French, effing jobs. Right. And they're the culture that we live in promotes somebody, you know, losing their self. They don't have the opportunity to even express. You need time, and you need 
air and you need feet, bare feet to, I don't, to me, you need that in your life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. This was awesome. Thank you, Matt. I was so uh, overjoyed because I love attention. So <laughs> I was really glad to be on the radio. So I appreciate it very much. All right. Well, thank you. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Yes. Back to you. All right. Bye. That was an awesome show. Thank you so much for coming by. We'll have Neil Speckman on next week. He's over in Saudi Arabia doing permaculture, sometimes without any rain at all in an entire year. So that will be fascinating window into that. We'll have many more special guests. We'll have Elaine Ingham in June, and we'll have Jeff Lawton soon. He's over there in Morocco, so we'll try to catch him when we can. Thank you. Have a good night.